If you know anything at all through our studies in the Gospel of Mark, if you know anything uh, at all about human government as we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, so far, all we would know was Herod and his murder of John the Baptist. And if that's all you knew about governing authorities through the study of the Gospel of Mark, then your understanding of how God views governments would probably be pretty jaded uh, by the conflicts, the internal drama that we saw there, the immorality that was blatant. But isn't the truth that if you look at human governments across the centuries, across the millennia, there is conflict, there is human drama, there is blatant immorality. But when you come to our country, instead, there's conflicts, there's human drama, and there's blatant immorality. Oh, that's because governments are filled with sinful human people, like me, and like you. So how do we think about our government on July the 4th, 2021? I want to transition into our passages this morning by observing something about Damon's sermon last week. I could not believe how shamelessly Damon showed pictures of his granddaughter as he began last Sunday's message. It was just a flagrant display of partiality. So, um, our our grandchildren were in town at the same time from New York and, uh, for, and from elsewhere. Uh, this is uh, Evie, my granddaughter. This is what I do with my grandchildren. We throw knives because, actually, small children and knives flying through the air, what could go wrong? Uh, this is my grand... Carefully controlled. This is, this is my grandson, <laughs> Elijah, rather happy about it, and this is me rather happy about mine, and this is Elijah in awe at mine. <laughs> but you, you will notice that um, uh, this little boy has a, a, a shirt on that says Marines. He is all about the military. I mean, he's, he is in the Young Marines in New York. Did you know that that existed? <laughs> uh, he, he, his favorite color is camo. His shirt is camo, his shoes are camo, his socks are camo, his pajamas are camo, his underwear is camo. When it all goes into the washing machine, you can never find anything. Now, uh, for a, a child who has two parents who are both artists, uh, makes perfect sense, right? Although, uh, when he and I were driving around and he asked if I could put some music on, and I said, what do you want to hear? And he said, do you have Vivaldi? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We had a great visit with him, a lot of of fun. And there was one moment when um, I was telling, I'm going overtime, Damon, from yours. There was one moment when I was telling Evie, the five-year-old, sweetheart, you need to eat your oatmeal over the bowl. Eat over the bowl. Over all. And then when she was done, Evie, look at the counter, look at your chair, and look at the floor. Oatmeal everywhere. And she looked up at me and she said, well, I am only five. (laughs) And I thought, okay, we're, we're in trouble. The reason why that they were in town here. There we go. The reason why they were in town is my mother-in-law's 100th birthday celebration. We had it back here uh, at the pavilion. Everybody came in from out of town and uh, we had a wonderful time. One century. There she is in the middle, almost a halo around her head. One century 
Now, I want you to think about this. How much has she seen in our country in her lifetime? I mean, she has lived, her lived experience is 40% of our country, of the life of our country, 40%. So she has experienced the aftermath of World War II, of World War I, rather, uh, the aftermath of that uh, with her father. She uh, experienced prohibition, the Depression, World War II, of course, the Vietnam, Woodstock, all those the social changes, the astonishing technological changes, the space program, and now she can see a doctor through a handheld computer called a cell phone that has more power in it than the 1951 Univac that filled a warehouse. It's an astonishing thing. The cars, when she was born, 1921 Ford Roadster. Her dad was a doctor on Signal and in Dunlap and in Red Bank, and that's the kind of car he may have had. Uh, 100 years later, there's another Ford Roadster, a Ford Explorer Hybrid. It's just an astonishing span of changes. Most of her life was lived in a country where we, where we felt very secure because no army could attack us because... Uh, after all, we were bounded by two allies and two oceans. And then the Cuban Missile Crisis. And then the pandemic, and then 9-11, and then the pandemic of 2020. All of these things showing weaknesses that we did not know we were exposed to. By the way, she got COVID last year and at 99 did just fine. Except for the lockdowns. Even the music that dominates our world today... Uh, did not exist, dominates our advertising today. Rap music did not exist 45 years ago. Can you imagine a dominant form of music, music that we would project 45 years in the, into the future that does not exist now, that we could think that that would be a thing? Cultural changes are pretty staggering, too. The news is no longer about the news. The news is now about our feelings about the news. The Jim Crow laws that were rescinded have caused deep bitterness that remains. Abortion is now the law of the land, as is gay marriage. When Betsy's mom was 29 years old, Walt Disney released the animated version of Cinderella. In September, the new Cinderella musical will be released, and the fairy godmother is a transgendered male. Big tech is shutting down or canceling or censoring whatever term you want to use. Many conservative voices. One writer put it this way. When you look at the changes in or revolution in our country, something which had been condemned must be celebrated. And then what had been celebrated must now be condemned. But there's more those who will not join the celebration must also be condemned. Everything is changing in so many ways so that you wonder, at what point do you reach a place where you no longer recognize your country? Right now, our country is so divided, and it's filled with anger. It's also filled with wonderful things. But if you're looking for things to be angry about, to be furious about, and to, for politicians and grievances to be angry over, there are plenty of candidates. So render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. How do we, how do we as followers of Jesus, on the 4th of July, 2021, balance our allegiances? Because, and, and this is not my point today, but I believe patriotism is a biblical virtue. I have a flag outside my house right now. It's fluttering. And whenever it flutters, my heart flutters. Don't some, you know when you're driving along some interstates and you, you'll, in some places you'll see a flag that is so magnificently huge and that thing is just blowing. And that just makes my heart beat faster. I love seeing that. Um, when my father was still alive, <clears throat> 
he, would, he and I would always watch Braves games together. And uh, in game five of the 2009 World Series, Alanis Morissette sang the national anthem. The Braves were playing. I've forgotten who they were playing. And as she began the national anthem with the words, Oh, say, can you see? My dad, this old soldier, was sitting there totally asleep, which is kind of the way he watched the games. <laughs> he was totally asleep. And when she began the words, Oh, say, his mouth mouthed the entire national anthem in his sleep. Um, now, my goal today <clears throat> is to nail down you know, how, how do we think about some of these things as Christians? Because God has called us as citizens of heaven to be good citizens of earth, but also to be his witnesses. And the word witness is a Greek word martus, from we get, which we get our word martyr. We are to be his martyrs, his witnesses. We're to show forth Jesus to the culture around us, to the country in which he has embedded us. We are living as witnesses in a politically contentious time. And it's, I think it's easy for us to get absorbed in the outrage of things that are going on on both sides and ignore the main thing, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So from this passage, I have kind of a two-point sermon. The things that are Caesar's and the things that are God's. Now, here's what's going on, and if you read along with me from verses 15 through 17 in Matthew chapter 22. There we go. In Matthew chapter 22, um, I was trying to go back and get that off screen. There we go. In the first three verses, they are trying to entrap him in one of those questions so that they can have ammunition in order to attack him. Here's the background of the question. The poll tax, what was that? It was a small amount. It was 0.3% of an annual income, a very small amount. It was to be paid once a year, and it was to be paid with a denarius. Denarius was a coin that had an offensive inscription to the Jews. But the tax and the coin had become a symbol of Roman oppression. There had already been uprisings about paying this tax. Gamaliel referred to that in Acts chapter 5. So if Jesus were to take sides, his enemies would have ammunition either way. Uh, on, on the one side, if he had said, yes, pay the tax, he will alienate the people. If on the other side, he said, no, don't pay the tax, uh, they would immediately have run to the authorities to have Jesus arrested. So it was one of those lose-lose uh, questions. And by the way, in Mark, the Gospel of Mark, they repeat the question, only they make it shorter. Shall we pay or shall we not pay? In other words, they, they've gotten to a point where they don't really like the way Jesus answers questions. Uh, he answers, they don't want to hear a parable. Uh, they don't want to hear a nuanced explanation. They don't want to hear a challenge. They want a yes or no. So it's kind of like saying, uh, in, in, in today's political climate, you've got to have, I don't want to hear your explanation. I just want to know yes or no, yes or no, so that I can have ammunition against you for a soundbite that can be then projected uh, later. So when people ask you questions like this, yes or no, pay the poll tax or not, you can answer those questions in one of three ways. First of all, you can give them the ammunition they want while playing to your base. You can do that. Secondly, you can evade the question. You know, that's, that's a good question. This is a question for our time. We, we need to hear all sides so that no voices are excluded. And if I'm elected, I'll appoint a commission to study this important issue so that we will know what is the best for the American people. Or third, instead of evading it or answering it simplistically, third, you can lift the question out of the boiling pot rhetoric and answer based on principles. Even though he answered the question, basically he said, yes, you pay it. He answered the question, but the motivation that he gave was a principled motivation, and that elevates the whole discussion when you answer based upon principles. So in verse 19, Jesus says, show me the money. And, you know, the strange thing is they had it. 
they were already benefiting from things that they had paid to Caesar. They had the poll tax right there uh, with them. In verse 20, Jesus said, he held up the denarius and he asked, whose likeness and inscription is this? Let me show you a few examples of denarii. This was a a denarius. um, And and by the way, if, if you are a visitor here, I use PowerPoint about once a year. When, when I'm trying to show something, but, but t- today there, I think that it's interesting to see this and maybe helpful to see this. Um, the denarius was, was about the size of a dime. Uh, this is one that would have been about uh, uh, 45 years prior uh, to the time when Jesus is having this conversation. This is for Caesar Augustus. Here's another one. This is about 30 years after Jesus. That's Nero. He's a little bit of a porker, as you can see. And on the back... Uh, was that disrespectful of governing authorities? <laughs> okay. Uh, on, on the back, it's interesting. He, the, the inscription is salvation enthroned. Now, neither of these probably were the denarii that was given to Jesus. He would have been given one of these that had the inscription of Caesar of, of uh, Tiberius. Now, let me explain what this uh, looks like. Here's the front, and there's the back of one of the denarii that would have been in circulation at the time of Jesus. Uh, The front of it uh, was an abbreviation of Tiberius Caesar, divine Augustus, Phileas Augustus, divine uh, son of of, of, uh, uh, of Augustus Caesar. The abbreviation, Caesar Augustus, Tiberius Son of the divine Augustus. I'll get it right. Basically, that was the claim after Augustus' death that he became a god. That's why it was so offensive. And then on the back side, it, it says uh, uh, Pontifex Maximus, abbreviation for Pontifex Maximus, was the, which meant that he was the leader of the Roman religion. It was a religious piece. And by the way, that term was later adopted by the Roman Catholics to apply to the Pope, Pontifex Maximus. So here's here's what they're getting at. Uh, Here's what Jesus is getting at. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. So he holds up the coin and he says, whose likeness and whose inscription? You've seen the likeness, you've seen the inscriptions. And they said, Caesar's. Okay. Then he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And to God the things that are God's. Now, we'll get to this, but whose image are we in? We are stamped in God's image, and that's the point. And Jesus is making the point that everything is ultimately God's. He's not saying that there are two domains. There are the things that are Caesar's and the things that are God's, two equal domains that exist. No. Actually, all the way through, he makes a very different point. Everything is God's. And Caesar's is a blip inside of that everything. So the important point that he is making is he is endorsing a different obligations to a different system than the one that was set up in the Old Testament theocracy. This is very important. A biblical view of government is a much larger study than what we can do today, but Jesus says there are two systems. Not that they're equal. They're not. But we have obligations towards each system. We are not in control of the things that are Caesar's. The government of Rome provided things like Roman law, which was good, aqueduct system, roads, Greco-Roman culture. Uh, It was pagan, but it was definitely better than anarchy. So Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Pay the tax. But based upon a larger principle. Now, if someone were to say, wait a minute, what if the government uses taxes for evil things, like abortion? Abortion and infanticide were rampant in the Greco-Roman world. That's why the Hippocratic Oath 500 years before Jesus, banned 
abortion and euthanasia. It was not a government ban. It had no power to it. But that was, the, that was what the, those who were trained as doctors wanted to do, was to ban both abortion and euthanasia. Later on, gladiators, men in the image of God, would die in the arena for entertainment purposes. So what Jesus is doing is he's telling them to pay taxes to this governing authority, and it's a separate thing. It is an obligation, and this governing authority will later use this tax money to crucify him. Pay the soldiers, secure the wood, keep the peace while on the way to Golgotha and the whole thing. You are not accountable for how the government uses the money. We are to influence it as much as we can, but God will, is the one who will deal with the government. I want you to turn to another passage. The Apostle Paul gives more detail in Romans chapter 13. So turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 13. Beginning with verse 1, Paul says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. For they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior. This, now, what he's saying is this is the purpose of government. This is what they should be doing. Not a cause of fear for good behavior. They're to promote good. But rather for evil. They're a cause of fear for evil behavior. They're to punish evil. So governments are to promote good and to punish evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good. And you'll have praise from the same. For it, that is the government, is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. So don't defund the centurion. It is a minister of God, an avenger who, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Now listen, here he brings in this. For because of this, you pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God. They may not know it, but they are devoting themselves to this very thing. What very thing? Keeping order. Resisting anarchy. So, verse 7, Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And he's, he's clear about this. It's not because the person is good. It's because the person holds the office. This is heading in an uncomfortable direction, isn't it? So verse 8 continues, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. I'm going to stop the reading at that point. The purpose of government is for the good of the people, not for the good of the king, not for the good of the emperor, not for the good of the president, not for the good of the political party. seems these days we're so afraid to say anything good about what the other side, whoever they may be, does, lest we give them ammunition to stay in power. And we can't do that at all. I mean, it's just, we have moved into a crazy place. And I have to tell you, I agonized over this study today. <laughs> I was working, I just, what to include, what to exclude. And this has been a challenge for me to think through because there have been some things that the Lord's been convicting me of. And I want to say them well and accurately and biblically. But at the same time, I want to be biblically balanced about that and not roll my sin over on you as, as I've been wrestling with what these responsibilities look like for Gary Phillips. So um, I have no idea where I was. You know, it's, when you're trying to put everything together and, and uh, so much to say, so little time to say it, it, it it's, it's, it's kind of like the way I was today coming up the W Road following a car that has an out-of-state tag. 
you know that you're going to get there, but you're afraid it's not going to be pretty. You know, so here, here we are. I, I, we're going to get there. It may not be pretty, but we're going to get there. So uh, the, 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 purpose, uh, the purpose of government is to do good for the people. Now, in the Old Testament, they had standard weights and measurements and, and, and standardized financial currency, respecting boundary markers for property, keeping public records. Those, those are good things. Those things avoid anarchy. Today, we have extensions of the same things. We have electricity, we have water systems, sewage systems, road systems. I appreciate having banks that are regulated. I appreciate having a Food and Drug Administration that governs what people cannot put into sausages, that inspects poultry. How many of you have ever gone to a, up to a gas station that was totally off-brand? You've never seen one of, the, one of those before. You come up to it, and you know it's probably a locally-owned gas station. And before you finish, before you fill up your tank, you do one gallon to see if it matches the cost. Any of you ever done that? Or am I the only paranoid one in here? Okay. Okay, let me ask it this way. Are you thankful, in light of, are you thankful for building construction codes? In light of what's going on in Miami right now, in Florida, uh, that tragedy, one of the things they're looking at is where the codes followed and recommendations listened to. So, I mean, government's not perfect. But there are good things that promote the general welfare. Oh, that's an interesting phrase. Promote the general welfare. That phrase is from the first paragraph of the Constitution. But that idea is as old as Genesis. We should not take those wonderful things for granted because globally, Christians are persecuted for being Christians, according to the Pew Research Center, in 130 countries today, today, persecuted for being Christians. Now, how many countries are there in the world if they're persecuted in 130? It depends upon how countries are counted. And I've found a range of a recent range of 195 countries to 249 countries, depending upon what's included or excluded. But on any account, Christians are being persecuted today in between 53 to 67% of the world. Our brothers and sisters are being persecuted. And we are not under that here in this country. Doesn't mean things won't happen, but it does mean that we need to pray for get involved in and love our country into truth. It's hard to come let us reason together when people throw up their hands like Pilate and say, what is truth? So I love our country and I I appreciate the assumptions of human sinfulness that were built into the checks and balances of how our constitutional republic is set up. And we need those checks and balances because of sin. James, some of you have have heard the phrase, uh, if men were angels, no government would be necessary. Here's the context of that. Ambition must be made to counteract ambition. It may be a reflection on human nature that such devices should be necessary to control the abuses of government. But what is government itself but the greatest of all reflections on human nature? If men were angels, no government would be necessary. If angels were to govern men, Neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. In framing a government which is to be administered by men over men, the great difficulty lies in this. You must first enable the government to control the governed, and in the next place, oblige it to control itself. It's called checks and balances. So we have the House of Representatives and Senate, the Congress, we have the judiciary, we have the president's cabinet. We, we have the military under civilian control. That's astonishing on the world scene. Those things were put in place by people who believed in a Christian worldview. I'm not saying they were Christians, but I am saying that they believed in sin and that power needs to be held accountable. And this was, this was unique. And this freedom is a blessing. We, we have the opportunity to, to vote, to run for office, to, to get involved, to protest, to demonstrate. One extreme example, there's a, in the news this week, one of the Olympic hopefuls dreams of winning gold so that while our national anthem is being 
played, she can burn a replica of the American flag. Now, as odious as I think that is to me, I am thankful that if she does, I live in a country where she will not be arrested and executed. Globally, if you look at Scripture, from the very beginning, God planned for believers to influence government for good whenever possible. Joseph was a huge positive influence on Pharaoh. Moses tried to be. Daniel was a huge influence on both Babylonian and Persian empires. Nehemiah was cupbearer, which was chief of staff of uh, Artaxerxes of Persia. Mordecai was, became second in rank to King Ahasuerus or Xerxes. Uh, in the New Testament, we have governors like Theophilus. And if you've ever read Luke or Acts, you've been reading Theophilus's mail. Joanna was the wife of Cusa, Herod's chief of staff, and a follower of Jesus. You wondered how Mark knew all the things that were going on about John the Baptist and that dance and all those things. Um, the city treasurer of Corinth was a man named Aristos. We even have inscriptions to him. He's mentioned in, in uh, Paul's Corinthian correspondence. One governmental group, more than any other, that had the highest respect for Christianity was the military, the Roman military. Both, both Paul and Jesus had good relationships with Roman soldiers. In fact, even John the Baptist was asked by soldiers what to do as soldiers. And he told them to be good soldiers and not abuse their authority over the people, uh, over who were, people who were vulnerable. Do you remember Jesus' comment about the centurion that we read just this past week in our reading in Mark chapter, Matthew chapter 8? This is a centurion. Truly, I tell you, no one, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So there's a greater kingdom than Rome. There's a greater kingdom than Israel. And these Romans are going to be a part of God's greater kingdom. Paul also had many friends in the Roman military. Now, eventually, the Roman government was no... They, they were neutral towards Christianity at first, but, but that changed. The Christians had to be stopped because they refused to say, Caesar is Lord. Instead, they would say, Jesus is Lord. Paul had Roman citizenship. Peter and James did not... Didn't, didn't matter. All of them were executed by Rome. Polycarp was a disciple of John the Apostle. He was an old and saintly man. And when the soldiers arrested him... They wanted to give him a weight out of being executed. So they said, just please say, Caesar is Lord. You don't have to mean the words. Just say the words without meaning them. And Polycarp responded, 86 years have I served Christ, and he never did me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? So he refused, and he was executed. You can see where this is headed. Sometimes the things... Sometimes things are Caesar's, but sometimes the things that are Caesar's and the things that are God's unavoidably conflict. In Exodus 1, the midwives were ordered to kill all male Hebrew babies, and God blessed them for not doing it. God approved their actions. You read Daniel 1, Daniel 3, Daniel 6, where they were told explicitly not to worship their God, but they did it. So you have the fiery furnace and the lion's den in those stories. In the New Testament, in Acts chapter 4, the Sanhedrin told the Christians not to speak again in this name, the name of Jesus. They had a hard time saying the name themselves. Don't speak in this name. But the, uh, the apostles still did. And then they were arrested in Acts 5, and they were brought before the Sanhedrin again. We told you not to speak in this man's name. And they said, we must obey God rather than men. When did the Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but to God the things that are God's. God is in control of the things that are Caesar's. Caesar's not in control of the things that are God's. So, what I'm going to do is, uh, I, I am going to just take a moment to understand this grid. Our grid is, is the bigger picture of the fact that we are citizens of heaven. Philippians chapter 2, verse 20. 
That is where our citizenship is. But we are to love the country in which God has embedded us to be salt and light to the people around us and to influence our country for good as best we can. And we have many means to do that in the United States. But the bigger point is that the church has been called to influence the world for good, no matter what government, the United States, anywhere. Here are some examples of some things that Christians have done to influence government over the years. Responsible for outlawing infanticide, child abandonment, and abortion in the Roman Empire. These are things that Christians did to influence government. Abolition of brutal deaths of gladiators, branding faces of criminals, reforming prisons to where you had male and female separation, abolishing human sacrifices, outlawing pedophilia, giving property rights and other legal protections to women, banning polygamy, prohibiting the burning of widows alive, stopping the binding of young women's feet, providing education in schools, education for all children in European countries, uh, including education for poor children, boys, and girls. Christians did this. This uh, establishing universities, most, most were begun, begun by Christians. Abolishing slavery throughout the Roman Empire, Ireland, Europe, British Empire. Two-thirds of the abolitionists in America were pastors. And as you can tell, there's just a whole lot more that could be added uh, to this list. The Christians have done, the body of Christ has done good things. This is what God has called us to do, to render to God the things that are God's. Why? Because they are in God's image. My political, people with whom I disagree politically are in God's image. But Gary, the Crusades, everybody bring, when you, whenever you look at things like this, it's always the Crusades, it's the Crusades, the Crusades. Look, I do not accept that. First of all, the, there were political reasons behind the Crusades that were overlaid with religious excuses. And secondly, the Crusaders were not following Jesus or any other book in the New Testament. Nothing in the New Testament gave support to the Crusades. It had nothing to do with the gospel. So that's not a challenge that I would uh, say is legitimate. Now, there are many, many, many issues that we could address. And I know if you want to interact with me on some of them, I have a few more things that we're going to do before we pray. If you want to interact with me on any of the issues that I've mentioned or haven't mentioned, my email address is lewis at smbible.com. So, um, here we are on the 4th of July Sunday. And we're going to pray in just a moment. And I want you to be thinking about some passages as we pray. We're going to look at these passages. Uh, and and have, these are good 4th of July passages, Okay. We're going to pray for a country, but let these passages inform how you think going forward. Peter said, submit yourselves for whose sake? You can read it. For the Lord's sake. To every human institution. That's why. The Lord's sake. Not for the sake of the institution. Whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him, for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. That's because of the way that we behave. We're to act as free men. We're free in Christ. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. <laughs> I am a very conservative person politically. But God has been convicting me of this. God has given us the task of respecting the office. Whoever is in the office, right? I find over the last few months, I, I enjoy some political podcasts, and I find that I'm getting to where I can't listen to them anymore because all they're doing is fueling the outrage. 
And it's just not good for my soul. So, they're inviting, I mean, I don't want to be listening to something all the time that is inviting me to ridicule the inconsistencies of those I would say are my political opponents. <laughs> or even worse, I'm getting real, I'm trying to get real here, to make fun of our president because he's old and sometimes shows it. Um, Proverbs 24, verse 21 says, My son, fear the Lord and the king. Do not join those who do otherwise. Here's an episode. I mean, remember in Acts chapter 23, the high priest Ananias ordered the people who were around Paul to hit him. And Paul said, God's going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. And they said to him, don't you revile the high priest. And Paul said, ah, God, Paul being gone almost 15, 20 years. Paul didn't know. Paul said, I'm, I'm, he apologized. I did not realize he was the high priest. For the scripture says, do not speak ill of your rulers. So it's kind of like in the military. You salute the rank, not the person. It's nice when they are both, well. Romans chapter 12, the next passage. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. I love this. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. It may not be possible, but that's okay. That's on them. As far as, as, far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But Gary... I can't let this Facebook post go unanswered. I have to forward something. Whom do you think you're going to persuade? And honestly, it's really hard to reduce a biblically informed, principled position to a verbal bumper sticker. Here's another passage. Philippians chapter 3, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humbled state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of power that he has to subject all things to himself. 1 Timothy chapter 2. First of all then, and this is what we're about to do, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there's one God, one mediator, and also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. Therefore, I want the people in every place to pray, 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 lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. I'm going to ask the elders to come up, and we're going to take a few moments to pray for our country. Because the scripture is very clear. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And one of the things that we owe God is our responsibility before him is to pray for our governing authorities. Josh is going to begin. King of kings, ruler of all creation, we pray for the country in which you have presently placed us and specifically for the leadership of this nation. None of us have jobs as public or as scrutinized as the president, vice president, or the cabinet members. May we, therefore, be more diligent to pray for them than we are to join the noise of criticism. We pray that these leaders would not be swayed by the media's numbers or the voice of the mob, but that your word would direct their decisions. 
Place people in their lives who will unashamedly hold up your word as the ultimate authority. Draw them ever closer to you, that they may faithfully walk the narrow path that doesn't fit the standard of the broad road. Give them good counsel based on truth so that they can make informed decisions. Make them servant leaders who have compassion for the people they're serving. It is a heavy burden to have to carry out the laws of a country. So we pray for their health under this intense level of stress. We ask that you make them humble so that there can be effective communication between them and the other branches of government. Give the men and women of our executive branch the wisdom they need to daily perform their task. May the power they have not be abused, but be used for protecting and promoting all that is good. Amen. The prayer I'm about to give was given 246 years ago by Reverend Jacob Duchesne in Philadelphia on September 7th, 1774. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, high and mighty King of kings and Lord of lords, who from thy throne behold all the dwellers on earth and reign with power supreme, uncontrolled over all the kingdoms, empires, and governments, look down in mercy, we beseech thee, on these our American states, who have fled to thee from the rod of the oppressor and thrown themselves on thy gracious protection. Desiring to henceforth depend only on thee, to thee have they appealed for the righteousness of their cause. To thee do they now look up for thy continence and support, which thou alone can give. Take them, therefore, Heavenly Father, under thy nurturing care. Give them wisdom and counsel and valor in the field. Defeat the malicious designs of our cruel adversaries. Convince them of the unrighteousness of their cause and that they persist in their singularity purposes of owning unerring justice, sounding in their hearts, constrain them to drop their weapons of war from their unnerved hands in the day of battle. Be thou present, O God of wisdom, and direct the counsels of this honorable assembly. Enable them to settle things on the best and surest foundation, that the scene of blood may be speedily closed, that order, harmony, and peace may be effectually restored, and truth and justice, religion, and piety prevail and flourish amongst the people. Preserve the health of their bodies and vigor of their minds. Shower down on them and the millions they here represent. Such temporal blessings as thou seest expedient for them in this world and crown them with everlasting glory in the world to come. All this we ask in the name and through the merits of Jesus Christ, thy Son, and our Savior. Amen. Father, I pray this morning for the third branch, for the judicial branch of the government of the United States of America, for all the federal courts and judges, but especially this morning for the U.S. Supreme Court. I pray for Chief Justice John Roberts, for Justice Thomas, for Justice Breyer, for Justice Alito, for Justice Sotomayor, for Justice Kagan, for Justice Gorsuch, for Justice Kavanaugh, and for Justice Barrett. Father, I pray that these men and women would support and uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States, that they would seek to uphold the law and not redefine the law to fit the culture. 
Father, we know that you are the ultimate judge and the giver of law. We also know that all our leaders serve under your authority and provision. We recognize that as Christians, we are commanded by the scriptures to be law-abiding citizens. Father, what authority our governments enjoy is derivative and is not from the will of the people, but given to them by you, O Lord, to whom they must answer. Men only rule within your divine mandate. This relationship between God and rulers and the rule is laid down for us very clearly in First Timothy, First Peter, which we just read, to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution and law. So, Father, we pray this morning that when the interpretation and application of a law is being considered, it be done with a with justice and a lack of bias. We pray that the judiciary will fulfill the responsibility with righteousness and impartiality, that they will be wise and honest with their decision, that the intent of the law will not be distorted, and that Christian values will be recognized in the law for the benefit that they are. So, Father, give our judges sound minds and a good conscience to deliver decisions based on biblical and moral values. Show them more of you and your ways. But God, you are the best and final judge of all. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. And Father, we thank you as we close for your goodness upon us and your graciousness to us. We thank you for our country. We pray, Lord, that uh, when we're tempted to the outrage and the ridicule, that we would replace that with prayer and kindness and love and that we indeed would be salt and light to the culture that you have uh, and where you have embedded us. We thank you, Father, for the military, for the Joint Chiefs, for those who uh, serve uh, especially in harm's way. Uh, We ask your protection upon the men, men and women of our armed forces and ask, Lord, that you would bless them. And I pray for deep effectiveness of the chaplains who, uh, and the Christians, uh, Officers Christian Fellowship, uh, the navigators, and groups that work to promote the gospel within the military. Uh, we pray, Father, for other organizations as well that are a part of our church that work with the military, and we uh, commend them to you, Lord, with deep thanksgiving. And now to the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You're dismissed. Happy Fourth of July.